This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health, a new fully integrated biopharmaceutical solutions organization, the result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health. Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit cineoshealth.com slash podcast. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Wednesday, November the 14th, and we're talking healthcare. I'm your host, Shannon Jones, and I am joined in studio via Skype by healthcare specialist and all-around good guy, Todd Campbell. Todd, how are you? I'm good, Shannon. I'm good. You know, I was looking at the calendar today. I noticed it was November 14th. Can you believe that? November 14th? Not only can I not believe it's November the 14th, I was just talking with Austin, our producer behind the glass. Thanksgiving is next week, Todd. Can you believe that? I I cannot believe that. (laughs) And then you've got Black Friday. Yes. But you know what other season is fast approaching, Shannon? What season is that, Todd? Flu season. Oh, don't remind me. Don't remind me. Speaking of flu season, uh, we actually, for today's show... We're actually going to be digging into the mailbag. We've got a request from a doctor himself, Dr. Levy, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's a friend of the full, but actually wanted us to tackle one particular aspect of healthcare that I'm excited to dig into today, and that is around the field of telemedicine. Todd, I know Dr. Levy and others have been asking lots of questions about such an intriguing and interesting field. Yeah, and you know, what's really fascinating about this, and and the reason I brought up flu season, um, was that, you know, I mean, think about the benefit that there could be for patients who are interested in a better mousetrap when they have, say, a cold or a flu, rather than calling up and hoping to be able to fit themselves into a primary care doctor visit, going over there, waiting in the lobby, waiting an hour, uh, you know, or more uh, while you're there, and then walking out of there and having to go to you know, Rite Aid or whatever your pharmacy happens to be. There's got to be a better solution, right, Shannon? Absolutely. And you know this as a parent, Todd. There's nothing worse than having a child with the flu who you then have to take into the doctor's office, sit in a lobby with other sick kids, and then wait through the agony of that. You know how that is. It's the worst. And so, you know, on today's show, we decided it would be fun to talk about telemedicine and, you know, just a quick, you know, and dirty definition of what that is. It's the remote diagnosis and treatment of patients using video or audio. So, you know, on your phone, uh, on your smartphone, on your computer, whatever, via Skype, whatever it happens to be, that would be telemedicine. And the opportunity that exists for telemedicine to disrupt is huge. And I think every healthcare investor needs to be considering how this space may evolve over the course of the next 20 years. Absolutely. And speaking of, just going to uh, what Dr. Uh, Levy wrote in, he said, thanks for your great podcast. As a non-sophisticated investor who uses Stock Advisor and Rule Breakers as primary investing tools, I would say that you are sophisticated because you use those tools. Uh, But he says, you guys add a lot of value and knowledge. Can we discuss some interesting trends? I think you guys discussed Teladoc at some point, and I believe I'm at a 71% return since I bought it immediately after the show. But there are other interesting telemedicine companies, specifically RadNet, which I have followed for a while, but I usually buy stocks only after I hear good vibes from full analysts. Uh, again, Dr. Levy, thanks so much for writing in. 
Let's dive even further into this huge opportunity, Todd, because, I mean, we've pretty much laid the groundwork. Telemedicine um, is here. It's actually not that new to begin with, but it's here. And there's a few factors that have really been driving the rise of telemedicine. So let's just start with the, the most obvious one, and that's really technology itself. You mentioned a smartphone. We're talking smartphones, computers, um, you, the whole gamut of technology. And now that we are so much more connected, now that we have wireless connectivity, now you're really starting to see the adoption of telemedicine just start to take off. Right, because we have these devices that allow us to make that quote-unquote personal connection with the person on the other side of the device, where I think a lot of people might, you know, before either didn't have, you know, a smartphone in, in their pocket or were just leery of technology. I think technology has become so commonplace that even, even people who were late adopters now um, – you know, can actually use these things and, and gain value out of them. I think that evolving technology is going to continue to be a big driver of adoption of telemedicine. I'm sure we'll talk about some of the, 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 the struggles or obstacles in the way of it. Um, but I think one of the other really, really big trends that, that people need to be thinking about here when it comes to telemedicine's opportunity is just a larger increasingly longer living population. I mean, aging baby boomers, they're turning 10, uh, 65 at a rate of, I think, 10,000 people a day. And by 2035, the population of people who are over 65 in the U.S. will outnumber the population of children for the first time. So we have got this huge uh, population of, of, of people who are getting older and you know, those are the biggest consumers of healthcare services, the elderly. And it's interesting because, of course, the, you know, the obvious driver of technology, you don't immediately then think, now the elderly are going to be a huge driver because of the technology. But you're exactly right, Todd. Um, even more so when you think about it from uh, nursing facilities and skilled nursing facilities, um, that is actually one of the fastest growing segments in terms of using telemedicine, but it makes so much sense. Um, studies show that approximately 60 to 70 percent of all nursing home transfers to the hospital are just flat out unnecessary. In one particular study, there was a, it was actually done in 2015, found that an off-hours telemedicine service prevented over 90 hospital admissions or readmissions over the course of a year. And this was for a 360-bed facility um, based out of New York. The savings were over a million dollars in Medicare cost alone. And of course, just improving the clinical outcomes for these patients as well. So I'd say even more so than the technology is the fact that we've got this aging baby boomer population really driving it too. Yeah, I think one thing that we don't have to worry about when it comes to the healthcare industry is demand, right? The demand side of the equation is not going to be a problem. I think the real problem is going to be supply. And part of that supply uh, problem is going to be being able to deliver it cheaper and more conveniently. And that's to your point, you know, the ability to, I, I guess, reduce unnecessary visits that can can tamp down on spending. Um, that That's huge, especially when you're talking about uh, a patient population that has such a big need for healthcare. I saw a statistic, Shan, said that of, of Americans who are over age 50 today, and there's roughly 70 million of us out there, 
four out of five of us have at least one chronic condition. But anyone who's above 65, nearly nine out of 10 has a chronic condition. I mean, it is truly um, a big driver of healthcare spending. Aging America is a big driver of healthcare spending in the country today. We spend four times more on caring for the elderly who have chronic disease than those that don't have a chronic disease. And part of that is because of things like, you know, unnecessary visits to the ER. Absolutely. Which, you know, also brings up a good point in terms of the physician shortage. This has been an ongoing issue, Todd, for quite some time. Um, I think as you think about the astronomical numbers of people just with chronic conditions, especially as we age, what becomes even more concerning is that we may not have enough physicians to meet the actual demands. And so let's actually dive into that because there's some really fascinating stocks, stats with that too. Yeah. I mean, they call them the medical deserts, right? I mean, it's just, think about it this way. You know, all of us are getting older, right? Including the doctors. <laughs> and there are about one third of the doctors who are out there um, are baby boomers who are going to be coming up on retirement themselves. As I was going through and prepping for the show today, Shan, I discovered that there are over one trillion, I mean, billion, sorry, one billion uh, visits to either primary care offices or hospital outpatient visits every year. 991 million to primary care office, offices alone. And if you think about, you know, the fact that, you know, we've got this demand, tremendous amount of demand coming through the pipeline and this potential for so many doctors to retire, um, yeah, you could have a, a massive shortage. Matter of fact, the Association of American Medical Colleges, their estimate right now is that I think with, by 2030, something like that, we're going to have a shortage of about 49,000 primary care physicians. And that equates to having, I think, 62 million people in the United States that are inadequately served by, by because of, of these physician shortages. So, Yes, that's a huge, huge problem. And again, we've got to find new ways to boost healthcare supply, especially if we want to move the needle on cost. Absolutely. Which brings us to the point of where the limitations are with telemedicine. The opportunity, the need is tremendous, but it doesn't necessarily mean that telemedicine has it all right now, Todd. So in particular, there are a couple of barriers that telemedicine still needs to overcome. Um, one of the biggest hurdles and what has really, I think, been one of the things that has slowed it down the most has been on the reimbursement and regulatory end of things. Um, so for example, just even defining what telemedicine is, has is still a work in progress when it comes to reimbursement. Um, Obviously, for payers, they want to be able to narrowly define what is telemedicine, how do we code for it, how do we pay for it. That term is still broad, so until we get more traction on what it is, I think that's the first thing. There was obviously, too, some legal concerns because, of course, if you're treating someone via telemedicine and something were to happen to that patient and because you weren't actually physically examining them in the office, obviously insurance companies weren't too keen on that. But what you've seen actually in 2019, we are starting to see a shift. Um, there were some actually big moves on the regulatory and legislative front to really uh, remove some of those barriers, uh, both on the payer and the health plan policy side. Uh, what's, I think, interesting for me in that front is you are starting to see a shift. Granted, it's slow, 
But telemedicine is shifting away from this kind of standalone service that's separate from and apart from your typical insurance, your typical health care. And now it's actually being integrated into the existing healthcare system. So I think that is certainly a positive on that front. And I think we're getting there. Still a long way to go on that front, though. The how to pay for it issue is a big one. And I think that that has been a big obstacle to adoption because, I mean, the last thing you want to do is tell a patient now, hey, guess what? We have something else that you could, you're going to have to buy, right? Uh, one of the ways that they're overcoming that objection is that you know, they're coming up with business models where the telemedicine company will actually sign a contract with the employer or the health insurance plan and receive a fee based upon the number of members they want to cover with telemedicine. So the payer is actually footing the bill, if you will, for providing access to telemedicine. I think that that has really, really been a big driver of, of some of the growth that, we're, that we've seen throughout the industry the last few years. I, I was reading somewhere that I think we're up to, of large companies, the largest employers in the country now, we're up to about 74% of them offering uh, telemedicine services to their employees. So listeners, if you don't think you have telemedicine and you work for a big em- employer, you, you may actually have uh, access to telemedicine. It's definitely worth looking into. Um, especially if you're interested in, in the convenience and you know potentially a, a lower cost, depending on what your copay happens to be. You mentioned the regulatory side of things. Yes, that's been uh, a problem because you know you've got to have states actually agree to what the definitions are, and then they need to figure out. Okay, well, we're going to allow a doctor in say Massachusetts to be able to treat a patient in New Hampshire. Will they have to get licensed in New Hampshire as well? How are you going to handle that or address that kind of a, an issue? Obviously, the best way would be to have almost like a national registry or something like that so that, you know, you have a slow doctor's office in say Utah and they can be able to, you know, they have the extra capacity in their workday to be able to see more patients, so maybe then they could be seeing, you know, people in a very, um, in an area where there's a tremendous amount of demand and, and that's underserved. So I think that those are, are some of the other, you know, considerations that we're trying to figure out, the growing pains, if you will, in getting telemedicine to become something that's, that's much more commonly used by people. Exactly. And even too, just on a logistical front, Todd, you're, you're recognizing that for these types of visits, these are non-emergency visits. These are for things like, you know, a cold, the flu, um, things that don't require immediate care and are non-life-threatening. Um, so, of course, that's certainly a limitation. I don't think that will ever change. Um, but all in all, I do think that telemedicine represents a huge opportunity. I think we're just seeing the beginnings of what telemedicine will look like. And we'll get into some of the stocks and kind of what they're doing uh, to go after some of the opportunities there. But that's just to say the future of telemedicine does look quite bright, Todd. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I wouldn't shortchange it. I mean, I think that, you know, you saw one of the companies we're going to talk about later on um, is, has moved much more into specialty care uh, over the course of the last couple of years. I think that as technology gets better and we're able to do a lot more in the way of remote monitoring, and, you know, who knows, right? Maybe someday we'll actually have hologra- holographic images where our doctor is actually standing in front of us and able to evaluate us in our in our living rooms, right? So I wouldn't count technology out as far as being able to kind of break through some of those technology barriers and get us to a point where telemedicine is helping more complex cases. But you know, to your point, we're, we're still a long ways away from that. <laughs> I don't know about a hologram. 
I, I think about like my mother, who actually still refuses to use on her phone the banking app just for con- security concerns. <laughs> Could you imagine having a hologram in your living room? I don't. I don't know how open people would be, but I do think that's where we are headed. Eventually, we'll get there. But let's uh, turn the tables a little bit. Let's talk about the first stock that was brought up, and this this company is actually really at the forefront of revolutionizing the healthcare delivery model with their drive for telemedicine. And that company is a company called Teladoc Health. That's ticker symbol TDOC. Uh, The stock is up about 67% this year uh, versus, of course, the S&P up only about 2% on the year. At one point, Todd, this stock was up almost 150%, but has had some turbulence over the past month, month and a half or so, uh, which we'll dive into. But right now, the company is trading about $58 a share, down from $86 a share. Todd, it sounds like this might actually be a good buying opportunity for a company that is really on the leading edge. All right. Full full disclosure here. I wrote an article for The Fool about, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago where I said um, three growth stocks that, that I want to buy the next time we get a sell-off. And one of those was Teladoc. And sure enough, we got a sell-off. And I'm beyond our, you know, we have restrictions. I am beyond, so I can talk about it. But I did indeed go out and buy Teladoc on that recent weakness. It's a small position. You know, and I always say on the show, you've got to diversify. It's only a 2% position for me. But I did feel that, that the opportunity long term here warrants it being in my growth portfolio. So I went out and I took a little bit on that weakness. Um, it is a fast growing company. It's about a $4 billion market cap company. And in the third quarter, its sales grew about 62% year over year to $111 million. Fascinating, the growth story here. And two, I think um, when you look at how the company has been growing, they've um, really been doing it through smart acquisitions, which I think is a very smart strategy for them. Um, If you look at their revenue over the past five years, it's been growing at a compound annual growth rate of 75%. Granted, the company is still not profitable. I think they'll get there over time. Um, But this is a company who is really, I think, defining what telemedicine, telehealth will look like. Um, And they've got a model. They use a subscription-based model um, that is certainly helping them to get over that finish line into profitability. You know, you you highlighted the growth, and there's there's a couple different numbers I want to hammer home for our listeners here, okay? In 2016... Teladoc did about 952,000 telehealth visits, so a little less than a million, right? In 2017, they did almost 1.5 million telehealth visits, right? If you look at last quarter, they did 641,000 visits. So if you analyze that out, that's going to get you to that gets you a run rate of around 2.4 million visits, right? And now think about that statistic I shared with you earlier today about the total number of primary care and uh, and outpatient uh, hospital visits per year, over a billion. So, I mean, am I worried that this company is losing money right now? Obviously, you have to watch and see how that progresses. But no, I am totally fine with them going out and investing back into their business as a growth investor, investing back out into their business with the assumption that they're gonna, there is still a tremendously long runway for this company. 
Absolutely. And uh, talking about, you know, the revenue growth, so that 62% that you mentioned does include growth from its recent acquisition of Best Doctors as well. But even on the organic front, organically revenue grew 29% in the third quarter. Another thing that I think really stands out for me with Teladoc is um, the fact that they've got a global footprint now. And so they've got operations in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Australia, and more than 12,000 clients in over 125 countries. Uh, It's astounding to me how quickly they've been growing. I know this stock in particular has been a favorite among many fools here. I believe even David Gardner is very bullish about this stock as well. Well, it's the large of the three biggest players in telemedicine. It's it's the only pure play that that we as investors can buy right now. Um, so I think that that's one of the other reasons that you know it catches a lot of attention of of investors. Uh, you mentioned the global growth opportunity. Shouldn't forget they just went out this past uh, summer. They bought Advanced Medical for three hundred and fifty two million. That gives them another $63 million in recurring revenues. And the Advanced Medical is a global, outside the U.S., most of their business comes outside the U.S. company. So this isn't even a limited opportunity, an opportunity that's limited to simply the U.S. market. And then, you know, just going back to, and looking at that, that broader market opportunity again, you know, by Teladoc's calculation, they think that roughly $417 million uh, of the over $1 billion visits per year uh, could be handled through telehealth, 417 million. So again, from from my perspective, uh, pretty much just scratching the surface. They did update their guidance when they put out their um, their most recent quarterly numbers. Uh, that reflects this recent acquisition. They're now expecting between 414 million and 416 million in revenue for the full year, and they're going to lose between a dollar 48 and a dollar 50 per share. Yeah, another um, growth opportunity that I'll point out is the fact that uh, Medicare's Advantage plan could actually now include telehealth visits as a part of their coverage for their 2020 plan year. Um, This is a huge opportunity um, for the industry itself, but specifically for teledoctors with their size and scale. But that would mean they could offer their full suite of services to all 21 million Medicare Advantage enrollees huge opportunity and really a great way to increase their U.S. paid membership base. Um, We mentioned um, at the beginning that there was a sell-off. Of course, the markets have been um, quite volatile over the past month and a half, two months. Um, But uh, Teladoc in particular fell about 12%. I believe it was early November uh, for a couple of different reasons. One was people reading through, investors reading through because of insider selling, basically. We had the C. OO, CFO, had a personal sale about $700,000 worth of stock. I think investors just got scared by this, especially with it being so close to earnings. They thought there was a read-through to earnings. But um, if you actually dig a little bit deeper, these were actually shares that he had already planned to sell, um, and he'd actually planned to do this five months prior. So really a non-event there. And then, of course, as is the case with most growth stocks. There's always the short seller on the on the prowl. Um, and actually, we've got a great article that if our listeners want to check it out, uh, Keith, one of our writers, uh, I believe on November the 5th, wrote an article entitled Why Teladoc Health Tanked Today. He really went through and piece by piece um, kind of deconstructed that entire thesis and really why Teladoc is still a strong performer. 
Yeah, I mean, this, the short sellers were calling to question some of the marketing that they do through affiliates. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that, yes, you're going to always have kind of these these moments in time where, where people will take shots at them. I think that you ignore that as an investor. You stay focused on the long haul opportunity. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons that I was willing to step in and pick some up from my own portfolio. Um, I, you know, I think that one of the things I just want to go back to is the Medicare thing is pretty huge because to put that 21 million people in um, in perspective, right now, the way the company makes its money is, again, it's selling subscriptions to payers like employers and insurance companies to cover a certain number of people uh, per month. And they cover about 23 million people right now. So, yeah, that, that represents a, a really, really significant potential um, to, to boost its addressable market. Yeah. So all around, certainly uh, a great stock and now could be one of the best times to get in or add to a current position. Uh, we're going to dig into some more stocks on the other side of the break. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health. Bringing a new drug to market is getting tougher and tougher. At Cineos Health, they're changing the game. As a result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, They've created a unique business model that allows clinical and commercial disciplines to work together, eliminating traditional process obstacles and delivering something they call biopharmaceutical acceleration, helping their customers accelerate the delivery of important therapies to patients. Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com podcast. All right, Todd, so next up, Let's talk about um, another company in the space, a company called RadNet, that's ticker symbol R-D-N-T, uh, in comparison to Teladoc, relatively small in scale. And also, too, telemedicine makes up a very small percentage of their actual business. Todd, what can you tell us about this company? Well, this was, it's interesting because I wasn't, I hadn't been, I hadn't spent any time learning about this company up until uh, pre- prepping for this show. Um, so I wasn't very familiar with this story. And so, I, digging into it, it's it's quite interesting. Okay, so what they do is they are operate freestanding diagnostic imaging centers in the United States. Now, historically, um, you know, do, getting radiology done, imaging done, that occurred in a hospital environment, uh, which of course is expensive. What they're doing is they're partnering up. Um, with health centers and hospitals to create freestanding units where they're majority owners and maybe these health centers own a, a small minority interest in them um, it, it, with the goal of being able to to uh, deliver the same service faster, better, at a, at a lower cost. And so far, it seems to be working. I mean, they've got 341 different outpatient imaging session centers that they're running right now. About um, 86 of those are held in joint ventures with health system partners, but they're looking to try and boost that to 50% over time. The company does a pretty good business. I mean, in the most recent quarter, $242 million in revenue. Um, so, you know, over an, you know, over an $800 million run rate for the company in terms of sales. Uh, but Shannon, the sales really aren't growing very quickly. No, no. And uh, when you look at... Uh the company itself in the past. So it has quadrupled in size since 2006. And this has, of course, been 
through acquisitions, but also it's got some organic growth. But the company is guiding really for about 1% to 3% organic growth over the long term. So this is not going to be your high growth stock if you are looking for one. Um, But just to your point, Todd, it's got some really interesting um, strategic components about it. You mentioned, of course, it's building out the network of freestanding alternatives, um, which I love. And especially, too, as you have more price-conscious consumers. Think about the millennials who are looking at prices. And now, more than ever, um, you have consumers who, before they go into um, a physician, are looking at, okay, what kind of diagnostic test do I need and how much will it cost? And can I can I compare cost from place to pe- place to place? And I think... This is a company that is at least starting to fill that gap and allowing for this freestanding, lower-cost, ambulatory setting uh, environment will actually help to, to mitigate some of that. Um, I think with the slower growth overall, um, and I think, too, it's a it's a big behavioral shift. It's a huge sh- ship to turn if you think about it because we're used to when we need diagnostic imaging, when I need an MRI, when I need a CT scan. I'm typically going to go to the hospital to get that done. And so going to these freestanding clinics that aren't associated with the hospital, I think there's just some of that behavioral adjustment that's needed. And of course, as you know, in healthcare, any sort of behavioral change takes time. So I think the story is compelling with RadNet. I think it'll be just a much slower, compelling story to watch. Yeah, and they don't have a lot of pricing pressure because so much of their business comes from the Medicare crowd. So they're kind of at the whims of whatever the Medicare uh, reimbursement rate's going to be for that you know, next year. And, you know, as far as turning that freighter, again, that's why they want to boost a lot of these joint ventures with these hospital systems, because, you know, you mentioned integration earlier and how a lot of these different companies are trying to integrate across the whole spectrum. You know, you've got hospital systems buying up private practices. Well, if they're buying up those private practices, who do you think that the doctors are going to end up referring um, imaging to? They're going to refer it to the hospital system. So, you know, as a, as a standalone um, operator, that, that could be a, a competitive disadvantage. Now, an advantage from Radnet's perspective could be that, you know, hey, we're relatively big fish in this independent freestanding marketplace. There are a lot of small, fragmented um, uh, companies that could be struggling much more than we are. We can go in, acquire these at a relatively good price, and then figure out new ways to work with these different health services, uh, health services providers in that area to, to, to drive sales growth. But, I mean, again, 6% growth. You've said guiding for 1% to 3 6% growth last quarter, year over year. Most of that's coming from acquisitions. If you look at procedure volume, over on the aggregate, their procedure volumes were up 3.5%. But, again, because of acquisitions. If you look at same center procedure volumes, it only rose less than 1%. So I think this is kind of one of those steady eddy things. Um, demand will increase over time because, again, aging baby boomers are going to demand many more healthcare services, including imaging. Um, but I, I wouldn't expect this, this to be able to deliver the same case, say, breakneck growth that, say, a teledoc might. Now, as far as telemedicine goes, they have two um, products or solutions that they offer that you know, I think you could fall within that telemedicine camp. The first is their ERAD product solution, uh, where it creates uh, web-based cloud solutions that helps hospital systems manage their medical imaging workflow and their communications with their patients. So basically taking those that, um, that hardware and all that data out of the hospital, putting it up in the cloud so that people can more easily share and review images um, between different 
you know, facilities or locations. And then they also have imaging on call. And imaging on call does, um, I guess, teleradiology is the, probably the best way to look at it. And, you know, what they do is they do it work in a couple different ways. For example, let's say that you have a hospital system that usually does its own stuff in-house, but it's got some staffing concerns it needs to fill. Or, you know, it gets a really heavy volume in a certain period of time and they need to ramp up their ability to, to, to read through this these images that they're taking, then they can reach out and remotely have uh, RadNet's um, radiologists, you know, analyze the imagery and, you know, provide feedback. And, and they can do it relatively quickly. I think the average turnaround time is about 17 minutes, which is, which is pretty rapid. Um, so again, that can help hospital systems and overall reduce costs by sort of outsourcing some of that, that image reading. Absolutely. And that's why you see some of the private payers really becoming more aggressive in sending patients to these freestanding sites, um, particularly Anthem and United Health. Um, one interesting thing that I think um, you probably won't see in the near term, but something interesting to watch here is that this company is actually investing heavily in artificial intelligence. Um, and so for healthcare investors, you probably already know radiology is probably one of the areas where AI is being invested in the most heavily. I think I read one stat, it was like over 50% of funds being invested in, in AI in the healthcare space or just in radiology alone. And so the company, um, they plan to talk more about this, and you'll probably see some acquisitions happening into 2019 and beyond. But I think this will be a really interesting space. I mean, think about it, Todd. If I can go get a diagnostic tool um, like a, a MRI, CT scan, AI then analyzes that scan and then sends a detailed report over to my physician. That not only saves time, but it also saves money as well. Absolutely. That, that is p potentially pretty disruptive. And, you know, we could be a little bit of ways away on that, but it's, it's just one of these, I guess, advances that you, that you may actually end up seeing and, and that it would make, if, if that were to happen, if they were to launch something like that, that would certainly make me want to take another look at this company from a growth perspective and see whether or not, um, you know, it becomes more, I guess, I, you know, intriguing to me. You know, if you look at the, the, what they're expecting for sales this year, they came into the year expecting sales of 950 to 975 million for the year. They're actually now, um, because of a weak first quarter, because of sicknesses and weather and all sorts of things in the first quarter, they now expect 945 to 970 million. That's up from 922 million the prior year. So again, not gangbusters growth, but really intriguing. Maybe a company to keep your eye on. Absolutely. So, Todd, with the time we have left, let's actually switch gears just a bit and talk about two privately held companies, the first of which is a company called MD Live, started back in 2006. Sounds very similar to me, Todd, like Teladoc, but has actually attracted the likes of some big name healthcare backers and partners, too. What's interesting for investors to keep an eye on this telemedicine that I mentioned early on, we were talking about Teladoc that they're of the big three, Teladoc's the only one that's publicly traded. Two more, these other two that you should be keeping your eye on, Med, MD Live, that's one of them, right? They have about 30 million consumers uh, that are enrolled as members because of relationships that they have with different, again, payers, healthcare payers. They expect to, to do about 500,000 virtual visits. So that's the run rate right now, 500,000 virtual visits per year. So smaller, I mean, that's less than what Teladoc did last quarter, but still uh, a big player. And as you mentioned, it's big investors in the healthcare area 
uh, especially as of this year through a new capital raise that they did, includes Cigna, uh, which is a major insurer, and Novo Holdings, which is the venture capital arm of um, Novo Nordisk, a major biopharma company. Yeah, and so the other company is actually a company that's been behind Apple's health study, a company called American Well. Um, For those of our listeners who aren't familiar with the Apple Heart Study, it's basically where Apple has been using an app, um, using the Apple Watch, so wearables, devices, to identify irregular heart rhythms, including those from potentially serious heart conditions like atrial fibrillation. Um, And so the Apple Heart Study is basically utilizing um, this video consultation to connect participants in the study to physicians 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about American Well, one that I haven't really, I didn't even realize was a part of this study. It's gotten so much press. Didn't realize just how connected they were to Apple. Yeah, this is another company, again, that you you can't buy uh, yourself necessarily. Um, unless you're one of the lucky few, if you will, um, is a you know private equity, private venture, um, and but they are raising a t- truckload of money. It just shows how much interest there is out there in telemedicine companies. They just raised, um, oh God, I want to say three, yeah, 366 million this summer alone. And as participating in that uh, capital raise was Philips, which is one of the global leaders in telemedicine technology. They're actually going to be joining American Wells Board. Uh, Anthem Health is also an investor in this company. Uh, And I think one of the things that's interesting when you look at MD Live and American Well is to see that these insurance companies are taking these equity stakes within these telemedicine providers. I think that that's incredibly encouraging for how they view um, what their view is of of telemedicine in the future and how they could uh, really change how, how people get low cost care. Absolutely. Definitely a positive there. Um, Just in closing, Todd, sounds like telemedicine, intriguing opportunity for investors if you're not already in the space, and even more intriguing value proposition for patients. Everyone can agree that healthcare costs here in the U.S. are are out of control and need to be reined in. Sounds like telemedicine could be just what the doctor ordered to help with that, Todd. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like most things, don't go crazy with it in, in your portfolio, but you know, keep keep an eye on it. And I think it's I think it's really exciting and ten years from now these companies are gonna be a lot bigger than they are today. Totally agree. Well that's it for this week's industry focused healthcare show. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan for Todd Campbell. I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and full on. These days, bringing a new drug to life is getting tougher and tougher. It can take billions of dollars and a decade or more to bring an experimental drug from molecule to market. And only one in five marketed drugs ever achieve revenues that match or exceed R&D costs. At Cineos Health, we're working to improve the odds. The result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, Cineos Health is the only company purpose-built to create what we call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Our unique business model allows the clinical and commercial disciplines to work together from the start, sharing critical data, insights, and knowledge. The Cineos Health approach creates success by eliminating traditional obstacles and smoothing the process at every step along the way, from clinical trials to FDA approval 
branding, and marketing to patient adherence. Every day, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com slash podcast.